Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to A.D. on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Alright, well today is a little bit of a different episode. We're going to focus on a on a related topic to the typical stuff that I talk about, but it's a little bit different. We're going to start today with some Bible verses, which is, of course, this is a Christian show, and so we, we take the Bible very seriously here on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. And I want to start to read to you from the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is one of my favorite books. I am named after Daniel. My middle name is Daniel. That's where the D comes from. Um, and I want to read from Daniel chapter 7. Now, I could have picked any number of verses from the book of Daniel or even Revelation because there's a lot of similarities and a lot of different places I could have gone. But I'm going to read from you Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 23. Now, this is a this is a vision that Daniel had, and, and it's an interpretation of this, of this vision. And here's what it says, starting in verse 23. It says, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is a view, this is a a prophecy, a vision about history and the flow of history. And it talks about kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, but overall it's a very optimistic view of the future. It says at the end, um, the everlasting kingdom shall be given to the saints of the Most High. I hope that includes some of you that are listening today. You are, hopefully, God willing, some of the saints of the Most High, and so you will be in this everlasting kingdom. So there's a progression, there's a goal, there's there's an end of history, if that makes sense. So that's uh, that's what I wanted to read from Daniel chapter 7. But this idea of progression in history is not only in the Old Testament. It's not only in prophecies. It's also in the New Testament. These are some parables from Jesus. This is uh, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is telling parables, and it says, The kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So you see, Jesus is presenting the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as this progression. It starts small, and it moves forward, and it gets larger and larger as time passes. It's a progression. It's a it's um it's an increase of the kingdom of God, and so we can understand history in a covenantal way. We can understand history that you know kingdoms will rise and fall, but overall, for the people of God, it marches forward, it marches upward, and um, there's a there's a very clear linear 
progression in history. And this might sound like a basic idea because, you know, in the West, if you're listening to this, your chances are you're you're in a Western country. Um, we've adopted this from Christianity as our standard. There's kind of a there's kind of an assumption of this flow of history, this linear progression of history, that this idea that history is is moving towards something. This is something that we've adopted, but it's not something that's just automatically adopted because different worldviews have different ways of looking at the world. Understanding the world as connected, as, as, as not just a bunch of se- a, a series of random events, that's something that's distinctly Christian. That's something that the world borrows from Christianity. Not every culture, not every worldview looks at the world that way. Some people look at the world in very different ways, and history in a very different way. And so what I wanted to talk to you today is about two of my favorite, favorite things. Star Wars and Star Trek. Now, I'm not going to do the Gospel Coalition, oh, this is the theology of Star Wars kind of thing. I'm not going to do that. But, but, but the reality is that all works of art, all stories, all movies present a worldview. And Star Wars and Star Trek, you might think on the surface there's a lot of similarities because they're, you know, they're kind of set with like futuristic technology. There's spaceships, there's laser blasts, there's conflict, there's aliens, there's all kinds of things that are similar. And that's true. You know, in, in many ways, Star Trek and Star Wars are very similar in the kind of genre that they're in, the kind of stories that they put forward. But the worldviews of Star Wars and Star Trek could not be more different. The worldviews that are presented by the creators of Star Wars and Star Trek are very, very different. I, now, I personally prefer Star Wars. You know, that's just a preference of mine. I, I've always enjoyed Star Wars. I still do. Um, but I really like Star Trek as well. But the reality is the Star Wars worldview is really incorrect. <laughs> and I don't just mean like, you know, Jedis and stuff don't exist, obviously. But what I'm saying is the way that the world works, the way that the world was created in 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 George Lucas's mind is very, very different than the way the world actually is. And here's what I mean by that. In Star Wars, there's just never-ending conflict. There are many lines in the movie that talk about the balance of the Force, and the Force is this unseen power. It's it's kind of like sentient, but it's not really. It's it's, it's like an impersonal force, and it's always trying to balance this balance itself out for, for, between good and evil, which is a really weird thing. You always hear this. Every character in the movie, every every character of any import is talking about balance in the Force and balance between good and evil, and it's just like this never-ending conflict, and, and even... Uh, in 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 the Force Awakens, one of the one of the more recent movies, there's a character that says that the fight that's going on now is the fight that's always gone on. It's the only fight. It just continues forever and ever. It's a never ending conflict because good and evil are essentially balanced. And so, whenever there's a very powerful evil character, then the Force will balance itself out and create a very good, a very powerful good character. And so they're just, they're just duking it out forever. It's like this idea of yin and a yang, you know what I mean? A yin and a yang, where you know they're basically equal, but they're opposites. And so it's just a never-ending conflict. And so in Star Wars, there's no, there's no, the way the world has been written, there's no hope for any resolution ever. There's really no hope for progression either, because as thing, you know, as again, as as a hero arises, as a Luke Skywalker arises, he's so powerful and he's amazing, and he's got all these abilities and he's great. The Force will balance itself out and create 
a dark character who's who's evil but just as powerful as the good character and it's just this never-ending conflict and really what happens in the past is not really related to what happens in the future it's kind of a random series of events that's just this force trying to balance itself out that's not how star trek is that's not how star trek is the world of star trek does have a very clear linear progression as part of it and this was intentional because gene roddenberry the creator of star trek he was a humanist he was a humanist, and he wanted to put forward this idea of humanity that involved progression, that involved humanity getting better. And so what we see in Star Trek is we had this past where we were fighting constantly, and there was all these religious wars and things like that. But then we sort of we, we, we became more enlightened and more we, we, we created a better future for ourselves. We don't need money anymore. We don't have conflicts anymore. In fact, the whole humanity is working together just for the, for the sake of increasing their knowledge and increasing um, their, I mean, making themselves better. And so we have this, and not, not only are, are humans working together now, but now aliens are working together. We've got a whole federation of planets that's working just for the for the sake of, of bettering ourselves and knowing the universe better and all of these things. Now, there's still conflict in Star Trek, but it's always conflict that involves other alien races or other alien empires that don't have as, as, as an enlightened approach as we do, that are more tribalistic the way we used to be. So, so Star Trek presents humanity as this 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 linear progression forward, this march forward and increasing in knowledge, increasing in abilities, um, economic, you know, power and, and things like that. And, and so, you know, even though it's humanistic, it has a view of humanity that they borrow from Christianity. It's a view that's borrowed from Christianity. Let me read to you from, from, uh, from a book called Millennialism and Social Theory by Gary North. If you don't have this book, if you've never heard of it, if you've never heard of Gary North, I highly recommend you start reading him. He is excellent. And this is from chapter, I don't know what chapter this is, chapter two, what is social theory? And here's what he says, ready? This is Gary North. He says, man's present, past, present, and future are covenantally intertwined. Christianity has always affirmed the linearity of history, creation, fall, redemption, and the final judgment. And Western Christianity, especially Puritanism, has at times also affirmed the possibility of progress within this linear temporal process. History can be linear upward the widespread public acceptance in the West of the twin concept of scientific progress and economic growth was closely related to the spread of Puritan post-millennial eschatology. And that's correct. That's correct. The West has adopted this positive outlook on the future, and it's applied it in terms of science, and it's applied it in terms of economics. But, but the reality is that it's, society has become secularized. It's secularized this. And so... People, you know, lots of lots of atheists and secular people have this idea that human humanity is going to improve, is improving, but they've divorced it from God's covenant, and so they don't really have a real understanding as to why that is. But a Christian can understand why that is. So a Christian can look at a culture and say, you know, these this culture is at least in some ways trying to honor God and is trying to follow his law. That's the way the United States was kind of founded. You know, they weren't perfect, but they were in some ways doing that. And so it's very easy to see that a, co- a, a, a nation that, that is attempting to keep that covenant um, is going to be more successful than a nation that is completely rejecting it. And so 
you know, kingdoms rise and fall. And it's not just random. It's not just, well, sometimes, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles. This country got better than this country, and this country got worse than this country. It's not like that. It's in terms of God's covenant. We can understand the covenant curses and the covenant blessings. As Christians, we can understand that, and we can apply that to our society. That's part of what, you know, speaking prophetically into your society is. That's why a lot of people would say that the United States is headed for judgment. It's headed for hard times economically. It's headed for pestilence. It's headed for uh, dispossession because it's very clear we are not obeying God's covenant in this country. We are we are spurning it. We're rejecting it. And so, a Christian should understand how history is linear and how history progresses and how progression and and success is accomplished. It's accomplished in terms of God's covenant. And so if you want your society to be, to be flourishing the way a lot of people say, well, you have to obey the covenant. And if you want to um, have a society that gets, you know, uprooted and taken over, well, it's a real easy way to do that. Just break the covenant, keep breaking it, forget God and all of that kind of stuff. Now, so here's here's the problem. So so this is this is this is why I wanted to talk about this in general. I'll read to you the next page from the Gary North, and and here's here's what he said. So remember, he said that humanists have borrowed from Christianity to talk about progression. Well, here's what he says in the next page. He says this humanist vision is now fading. Robert Nisbet is probably correct. This is a this is a person who wrote a book called The History of the Idea of Progress. He says, Robert Nisbet is probably probably correct regarding the cause of the late 20th century's loss of faith in progress. Quote, there is by now no single influence greater in negative impact upon the idea of progress than our far-flung and relentless jettisoning of the past, end quote. The humanists also failed to understand why disrespect for the past would lead to loss of faith in the present. We are all becoming part of the past. We too will be jettisoned by future generations. Our works and dreams will be cast out of future man's man's thinking. We will be consigned, as communist Leon Trotsky put it, to the ash can of history. So what kind of commitment to such future ingrates can modern man be expected to reveal? Very little. Millions of people today are increasingly ready to abort the future as well as abort the yet unborn who would otherwise become the future. Western society has become increasingly present-oriented with fateful consequences for Western culture. Present orientation is a denial of the very foundations of Western culture, respect for the past and faith in the future. So what is he saying here? He's saying that Secular people, because they don't have a distinctly Christian worldview, have borrowed from the Christian worldview, but they haven't taken it all because, you know, they're rejecting God. And so they are attempting to paint people in the past in a very negative light. I mean, you've heard this, you know, we, we, we've talked about the, the Confederate flag controversy, the pulling down of statues of, of old Confederates and things like that. Well, they're just a bunch of bigots back then. Everyone before... I don't know, JFK, or maybe even maybe even everyone before Barack Obama, just backwards. What a bunch of bigots. I mean, even early Obama was a bigot because he was against gay marriage. But then later Obama wasn't a bigot. So so everyone in the past, everyone before this generation, just a bunch of backwards Neanderthal bigots. So what's happened is we've divorced ourselves from the past. But what Gary North is saying, when you do that, you don't just divorce yourself from the past, you also divorce yourself from the future because guess what? 
if everyone in the past is just a backwards bigot, guess what that makes you? That makes you a bigot too. Because you are constantly, you know, every day that passes, you're becoming more, you are becoming more a person from the past. And so a future man, a future person is going to look back at you and be like, wow, you're a bigot. And so you're not only divorced from the past, the, all the bigots of the past, well, you in the future are going to look back, you know, the future is going to look back on you as a bigot. And so you're divorced from the future as well. And so all you have is the present. All you have is the present because the people in the past were a bunch of backwards bigots. You will eventually become a backwards bigot. And that's why progressivism is so dangerous because all you Christians who think you're woke, you're not woke. Tomorrow, you're not going to be woke unless you continue to capitulate to the culture because the culture is always going to look at the people in the past as bigots. That's the way we do things now. When you start to divorce yourself from the past, you also divorce yourself from the future because every day that passes, you're becoming more and more a bigot. And so you can see how, you know, you can't just, you have to take it all. Christianity is one of those things where you have to take it all or don't take it at all because, um, when you become so present-oriented, you start to support things that the Bible would never, ever allow you to support, like reparations, for example. Because when you support something like reparations, you reveal that all you're thinking about is yourself and your people in the in the here and now. Because you can't you can't be prophetic when you're when you're when you're supporting something as stupid as reparations. Because if all all I have to do, I don't have to be a genius. I don't have to have force. Uh, I don't have to have perfect foresight or omniscience. I can see. Well, this is this is a sin. Reparations is a sin because the we have God's covenant. I look at things in terms of God's covenant. We have his law. We have his covenant. And this is a sin. So this won't lead into any harmony. This is going to lead to more and more problems. But who cares? Because that's the future. We're only concerned with the present, right? That, I mean, that's why people support stupid things like that. That's why people support the Green New Deal or other ridiculous concepts, ridiculous ideas, because they divorce themselves not only from the past, but the present or the future as well. All they're thinking about is the present. And that's not a Christian way to live. That's not a Christian way to live because Christianity is heading towards something. There's a goal. There's progression. And so we always have to consider God's covenant now because we want our children, at least I thought we wanted our children to have a better society, a better world than we had now. And so if we really do want that, we need to do things in terms of God's covenant now. We need to do things in terms of God's covenant now so that our country can be blessed later. Do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? I want you to contrast two things. This is something that I read from the Gospel Coalition. Okay, this is about the Confederate flag controversy. It talks about the Confederate flag and how um, it's a symbol of oppression and slavery and things like that. And it says the Gospel speaks to this. The idea of a human being attempting to own another human being is abhorrent in the Christian, abhorrent. I'm sorry. The idea of a human being attempting to own another human being is abhorrent in a Christian view of humanity. This should hardly need to be said. So he's talking about how owning another person is abhorrent in Christianity. I have a I, I honest this is an honest question. Does the Bible present slavery in that way? It's abhorrent. I, I mean, I don't think it does. 
And so what this author is attempting to do is divorce us from the past because Christians own slaves in the past, own slaves in the past. So he wants to get rid of the Confederate flag. He wants to get rid of the monuments of Christians. Many of these monuments were Christians, people that were blood-bought by Jesus Christ, people that were covered by his sacrifice. And, and this man wants to divorce ourselves from that. And he ends up, I mean, like I, like I just said earlier, that just that doesn't just divorce you from the past. It also divorces you from the future. But does that is that how the Bible presents things? Hebrews 11 is one of my favorite chapters. Do you guys know Hebrews 11? That's the chapter that people call it the Hall of Faith, right? It talks about all the Old Testament um, heroes of the faith. And it says, by faith he did this, by faith he did that, by faith he did this and that. And these are people that we know their warts. We know their faults, right? But the Bible presents them as heroic, faithful men. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham did that. Abraham owned slaves, by the way. Just just saying, the Bible's not woke. Toby Sumter said that. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel on the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. All of these heroes of the faith, the Bible makes sure you can't disconnect from Abraham because he owned a few slaves. You cannot disconnect from David because he committed adultery. You cannot disconnect from Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. All these men had faults. You can't disconnect. These are your people. This is your history. And we can see the clear progression that God's people have made over time. We can see the clear progression. History is linear. History is headed. There's a goal of history. We can't disconnect from these people. And that includes Stonewall Jackson. That includes R.L. Dabney. These are people you cannot disconnect from. No matter how hard you try, even when you try to do it, you can't do it. And yet we speak of them as if they're pariahs problem with that is once you do that all you can do is live for yourself in the present you can't live for the future generations you can't because you've divorced yourself from them because all you are in this twisted worldview is a bigot in the eyes of the future that's not how god's system works that's not how god's view of history works now, i'm not saying that star trek has it exactly right but star trek understands history better than a lot of christians do today it is progressing towards something. It is, it is increasing towards something. Now, Star Trek doesn't understand why. They think humanity has it in themselves to do this. No, that's not why. No, 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 no. It's God's covenant. We can understand these things covenantally. And so now I can oppose reparations on covenantal grounds because I know that the United States will not progress f uh, forward in a positive light if we continue to break God's covenant today. That's why you can stand against reparations for the sake of people in the future, even for the sake of people today. Anyway, I hope that made sense. I hope it was helpful. God bless. Don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday for AD on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network.